Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. The more you ship, the more you save. With Canada Post Solutions for Small Business, we'll reward your repeat business with automatic savings. Visit CanadaPost.ca forward slash small business to see how you can start saving up to 34% on shipping in Canada. A real entrepreneur helping others succeed. This is your host, Rivers Corbett, on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day in the life stories and in their shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes google play music and wherever else you listen to podcasts you know one of the great things i love about interviewing amazing rock star entrepreneurs from across the planet is what we learn from them and that's why i started go forth garage go forth garage is all about providing you with the resources the coaching the mentorship the programs to help you and your business Just check us out at GoForthGarage.com. That's GoForthGarage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up because <laughs> it's going to be a fun ride because I'm just thrilled to have on the Startup Canada podcast show, Elias Perunen, founder of Tractus Event Passport on today's show. Elias is the founder of Tractus Event Passport and he just wants technology to work for humans. Got started on his journey at the age of four, at the age of four years truly was just learning how to swim underwater, and he got used to a Commodore 64 and started his journey to make computers do his bidding. For those of you that don't know about the Commodore 64, find out about it. It's the one that started the journey of it all. At the University of Waterloo, Elias discovered human-computer interaction. He has used the principle of HCI, human-computer interaction, to make better apps for the users he serves ever since. His company, Northern HCI Solutions, was named to reflect his commitment to great user experience. And to combine his love of conferences, public speaking, and free hot coffee, I want to talk about that, he created Tractus Event Passport, the conference experience app designed by speakers and event organizers and networkers. It's powered conferences and symposiums across Canada. And in his spare time, Elias teaches at the University of Waterloo's Masters of Public Policy students on how to write code. You can find his first book, Beyond Passwords, which launches October 15th at www.beyondpasswordsbook.com. Elias, welcome to the part. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, the Startup Canada podcast show. 
wow, whoever wrote that bio did a really good job. I'm impressed. Well, you know, and I believe them. I mean, mean, you're a speaker, so you would appreciate this too. It's amazing. You hand somebody a bio and they read it. They don't check it out. They say, oh my gosh, is this Elias guy? He's an astronaut? That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, they do a really good job. The the writers really do an amazing job on, uh, on this show. So my friend... Because we're entrepreneurs, we like to know the end of the story first so we can dive in and make it all happen. What are you hoping our our audience takes from our conversation today, sir? Honestly, the biggest takeaway today is that you as a startup can compete with the big fish in any market that you decide to enter. And I believe that you can do that as long as you're creative about what you do and how you pull that off. I hear the phrase that, oh, this market's saturated yeah. all the time. And that, that one frustrates me because if markets were completely saturated, there would be no startups. There would be no innovation. <laughs> That's right. There'd be, no, there'd be no space for entrepreneurs at all. Every, we've heard the, the lore of the patent office, the U.S. patent office that said everything that's been invented, we've invented everything that there is to invent. And every day we see that that's not true. We find entrepreneurs that find new ways to do stuff. And just because a market's saturated, it doesn't mean that your customers or your prospects' needs are actually being met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, and <coughs> excuse me. And in today's journey of, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm in my 50s and I'm kind of just thinking, look at all the transformations that have happened in the last five decades of my life. And if we just, kept trying to look after the, the needs of rivers when he was uh, in his 20s like i'd be at a business within three seconds so you're right it's those adjustment pieces that happen but what do you say to an audience the audience who says yeah but you know how do i get in to work with these larger organizations when they may have or established players when they already have uh, long-standing relationships with organizations so if your company's 10 years old you're going up against uh, uh sorry one that you're one year old they're 10 years old they get the relationship with bell or whoever how do they how does somebody get in there is it really a both know your niche, be different, and just be diligent. Can you talk on that? Sure. I think there's a couple different angles to getting in with when there's a number of established players in the market. The first idea that I'll put in your head is just because a relationship has been long doesn't mean it's good right? Complacency sets in, companies get used to having their customers, and sometimes contracts get renewed just because, hey, we went with them in the Mm -hmm. past. And you know, it's funny you say that. I'm a big believer that business is just a dating game, and we see that all the time when quote-unquote marriages break down, divorces, separation. So why wouldn't he think that that is establishing, you know, that same sort of uh, complacency kicks in with the business relationships. So I I love that you did that, and it's kind of like the the new girl in school, the new guy in school, you just got to get noticed to get into the, uh, get into the conversation. Um, how can you bootstrap a startup without having to use the usual, the usual, uh, channels? I mean, I, I used to work for the province of New Brunswick as their entrepreneur in residence, and I'd hear it again and again, everybody go down the same path. What are some hacks that you would recommend that our audience uh, kind of connect with that just aren't really known? Honestly, one of the biggest 
hacks that we've used at Tractus is to really stay creative and think about where are we spending our money and what are we spending our money on? The first thing we ever tried to do with our product was to generate revenue with it. So in, so instead of trying to come up with an elaborate startup plan and here's our crazy valuation and here's all of our phases that we're going to implement, it's like, how can we generate revenue with this product today? And then how can we use that revenue to grow the business three months, six months, nine months down the road? The product that we've made if you look at it from day one and compare it to where it is today, it looks completely different. And I'm glad that we didn't have that VC money in our pocket to try and implement something because we've pivoted and changed course so many times. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's a question for you. I want to tie into the, what you just referenced because I think it's a, it's a critical, critical point. I, I get so freaking frustrated when I see our new entrepreneurs being trained to quote unquote pitch. They're trained to pitch for money. They're trained to beg for money. They're trained to give away pieces of their business. And a point you just referenced was so amazing right there is that there's amazing pivots that are going to happen along the way. So you could really be quote unquote wasting money in the beginning. In the meantime, as you go on more and more to ask for money, you're giving up more equity in your business that you really didn't need to, to give up. And so to say about sales, that's the frustrating point for for me is we don't teach sales skills we teach begging skills can you talk around that oh for sure the day that i took sales training and i have to thank a really strong mentor for this i had a mentor that turned me on to sales training and it changed the way that i approach my business it is i think it's one of the biggest failures that we don't teach entrepreneurs how to sell themselves how to sell their business uh-huh. The biggest tactic that beginning entrepreneurs see, and I certainly did this in the beginning, was to try and compete on price alone. Our price is X, and then when the customer inevitably balks at that because, hey, everything's too much, then you, then you say, okay, well, we can knock the price down to X minus $500 yes. in an attempt to win the business. Right. And there's been so many times where you lose business, and I've been on the receiving end of that, where I've lost business because I was cheaper than the competitor, and they went with my competitor. And the the sales, what you learn in selling, because selling has kind of got a bit of a dirty reputation behind it. We maybe think of con artists that have tricked people out of their money. If you're truly in a sales role, you're not just trying to sell every person or every company that you meet. You're actively trying to listen to your customer to figure out what their needs are and whether or not you can fulfill those needs. Yeah. And that's a, that's the key thing. If you get those needs fulfilled, then you're going to have all kinds of sales to move you forward. Even if those needs change over time, if your singular focus is about what the customer's needs are, and then you're able to solve your, your prop, your, your product solves the problem or the need, 
then uh, then you're away at the races. Races. So tell us about your company and tell us about well, tell us about the the journey that got you started. I'm always interested in those aha moments. So tell us about Tractus Event Passport and your journey and what what problem you were trying to solve and what it's been like over the what what were some of the things you went through those first couple of years? For sure. Tractus Event Passport, funny enough, started off as a one-off project for a client of mine. They were running an internal trade show, and they wanted to digitize their door prize draws. Right. How they were running them in the past was you would put a business card in the fishbowl, and each table would draw a card, and that person would win a prize. <laughs> they wanted, They asked me if I knew yeah. of a way to digitize that somehow. Right. And I came up with a quick rubber band and duct tape solution that involved QR codes and somebody else's smartphone app. But it worked. And it was a proof of concept. They liked it enough that they said, could you do the same thing? We do a continuing education conference, a professional development conference, where people get uh, professional development units and get a certificate issued. We've been doing it on paper could you do this? Could you use this system to run that conference? So we went off for a month or two, tweaked the software, tweaked the app, created an app, and came back and ran this conference. While I was watching everybody throughout this two days, I realized that there were a lot of people that were on their phones the whole time. And not just texting each other. I'm talking about hold your phone up to the projector screen, take a picture of the slides, take some notes, email that back to yourself. And at that same time, I was running a number of events of my own, and I realized, huh, this whole time a lot of events have treated the smartphone or the tablet as a distraction. What if we could Use this as a tool to get those attendees more deeply involved and engaged with the conference content. Bravo, man. Bravo. And that's where it all started. That's when we started to develop the actual app for both Android and iPhone. That's where we started to come up with surveys and polls and registration and all sorts of features that I could go on for hours about. But the end result was... Over the course of the next you know, year and a half of adding features, sponsoring some events, getting a lot of user feedback data, and reinvesting those initial revenues into developing the product, we've gotten Tractus to the point where we're standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the biggest players in the market with a relatively small team. Mm. So how do, you, how do you do sales then? How does Tractus do sales? I've been really fortunate that we've had a lot of referral business. Right. And quite honestly, this is something that we learned in sales training, is that you will close approximately 40% of all of your referrals. Interesting. I, a non-referral prospect who is qualified, you'll close them about 10% of the time. Interesting. Now, those are both pretty decent odds. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the 40%, thanks. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you love to go to Vegas with those odds? Yes, sir. 40%'s <laughs> not bad. No, in baseball, you get paid a billion dollars to hit it 40% of the time. Well, that's world record holders, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> it is. It is. So, referrals, but... 
you know what, my friend, in fairness, it didn't start off with a referral. So talk about those first couple of clients uh, that you connected with. I mean, yeah, you're a good guy. You're a nice guy, but ultimately, and you're a smart guy, but ultimately you had to have credibility built around Tractors. So for our audience that says, yeah, that's good once you get in there. And we talked a little bit about relationships. How uh, was there any any hacks that you use, or was it just age old networking, handshaking, LinkedIn that you use to make those first kind of connections for your product? A lot of it comes down to the relationships that you build. I will fully admit that there was a lot in the universe that had to go right to create that initial seed that ended up developing into Tractus. The fact mm-hmm. that I knew somebody who knew somebody who was running an internal sales event, there's a degree of luck there. Mm-hmm. But what if you don't have that? What if you've got an idea and you want to execute on it? Because remember, mm-hmm. Tractus started as a one-off. Right. I had no intent until I got asked, can you come back to potentially even use this again? Mm-hmm. It, start, it truly started as a one-off. Right. Part of what I set out to do after those initial events where we had some success with really a prototype was developing the product further, putting my own time and effort into it, and then building out some relationships. One of the strategies I used was I sponsored a number of events early on. Right. And not right. and not big corporate events. I'm talking about some smaller uh, independent conferences, right. some right. smaller music festivals to get that user feedback, to get that test data. Yes. We would not have been ready to do those huge corporate shows on day one. Right. So those 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 experiences and connections within those sponsorship experiences has allowed you to create the traction to get those referrals. Is that fair to say? That's part of it for sure. The other part is also tapping your network of people and say and letting them know that you've got this product, sitting them down, talking about it, and saying can you think of anyone who's in a similar role to mm-hmm. yours that could use this product or service? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a, uh, I'm a big, well, I didn't say big, but I'm a follower uh, and an admirer of John Maxwell. And he built his global business on one question. Who do you know that I should know? And that's exactly what you're referring to right there. Who do you know that I should know? And you just keep following up on that. And I, I'm a big believer of a, of a uh, you talk about the non-referral versus the referral. I hate cold calls. In my opinion, you don't really, in today's day and age, you shouldn't even be doing cold calls. You should all have some level of warmth to them. So thank you for reinforcing that. Elias, you mentioned about sponsorships. You mentioned about going to music festivals. What type of music do you like, by the way? Oh, man, I'm a big fan of classic rock. Anything Van Halen, I'm all over that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love and it. Then for, and then for the mellow moods, give me some Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> good man. I love it. You'd be good to hang out with. So how does someone like you and tracks uh your 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 company i'm uh, sorry i just kind of got a tongue twat tied there tractus um go into a festival and ethically grab the data that's coming out of there to help you improve your business how how do you how do you what do you say to people that are in the technical world that are trying to gather data on user uh, user activity 
and and but yet it's ultimately for themselves. How do you ethically get it? Do that, I guess you know, because it's stealing, isn't it? It depends on how you're using the data and what your users are aware that they've opted into. Right, right. You need to think about, and this is what we think about really deeply with Tractus, because do we collect some telemetry data to figure out how people are using the app? Absolutely. And as part of your business, if you're, especially if you're in the app space, you will need to do that to a certain degree. Right. You will want to know just from a development standpoint, where are our users running into trouble? Mm. Are they crashing out on a certain screen? Mm-hmm. So some of that is necessary. What may not be necessary, depending on the context, is that personally identifiable information. So for instance, when we're looking at the user telemetry, I don't necessarily care about who was looking at the list of attendees or who was looking at the list of sponsors. I really care about how many people are looking at the list of sponsors or the session list. Right. Or how many people went and took a look at this particular sponsor at what time. Right. Right. You know, are, are we say for instance, we're at an event, we send out a paid sponsorship message we want to measure to see how many people actually tapped on that message and took a look at the sponsor's profile. I don't. I might not care just from a telemetry point that uh, somebody tapped on that. I just want to know that raw number. Right. Right. Now, if there's if there's been some sort of a relationship that's been established between that sponsor or that vendor and the attendee, for example, they've scanned each other's phones and they've traded that contact information, then in that case, you might want to share that and they've agreed to, uh, to communicate with each other, which through the app, we have mechanisms to do that. You may want to share with that exhibitor or that sponsor that, look, this person that you scanned and that you talked with and that you took notes about, they're visiting and revisiting your profile. You probably want to talk to them. They seem interested in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how does how does um, uh, you're, you're talking about collection of data at this point? But part of the value proposition that uh, I know you guys bring is on the engagement piece. So how do you know what what are some top engagement value? that you're now bringing through your company to these conferences because of the data that you've collected already? Well, one of the biggest insights that we're gathering now is we're now able to figure out what what can we do to make somebody a better participant at this event? Yes. A better attendee, a better sponsor, a better vendor. Yes. And as a event organizer, how can I empower everybody that's at my event to get the most out of this. Right, right. Because as we both know, when times are tight, when there's a recession on, the event budget is the first to get cut. Yep, yep. The travel budget is the first to get cut. Uh And which side of the go, not go column your event's going to fall on is going to be determined by is, am I getting return on investment for attending your conference? Right. So to do that, your conference needs to go beyond what it looked like 
10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that means more than just providing a PDF version <laughs> of all the slides and the sponsor list. Yeah, email me here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. E- please. <laughs> I read a really scary statistic, if you want one, for events. Sure. Which is trade shows... We've all been to trade shows where we get the swag bag, we load up, we load it up with all the pamphlets and the brochures and the business cards. What percentage of that do you think goes in the garbage before the attendee even leaves the hotel? I'm going to say just because of the the kind of the <laughs> the lead up to the question, I'm going to say 90%. 98. Holy crap. Really? Yeah. Wow. So wow. if you hand out a thousand, a thousand brochures, 980 of those are headed to the garbage. It's incredible. Before the attendee even gets out of the conference area, the chances that that brochure or that handout will be actioned on. In other words, mm-hmm. somebody will actually make a call to you mm-hmm. is under 1%. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I Kind of taking this extension, how are you engaging people? How are your how are your clients engaging people to the point that I don't need that brochure, I don't need that pamphlet. I'm now engaging at the point of conversation or listening, and that's really where I'm getting that value. The way that we're providing that value to our customers and that they're able to provide value to their sponsors, exhibitors, and attendees is thinking beyond the day of. Because tra- traditionally, we've thought about events as I go to the event, I meet the people, I shake the hands, I set some follow-up appointments, and I go home. But there's all this space before the conference, and there's all this space after the conference that we are not taking advantage of. And that's where an event app like Tractus can really help empower your attendees. Like, wouldn't it be awesome, you as an attendee, two, three, four weeks, a couple, even a couple months before you go to the event, you already have a mental map of here's who I want to see. I already know which sponsors and which vendors are going to be at this event. Right. I have maybe even made some connections before the event. Uh-huh. So when I get there, instead of spending the first hour orienting myself, trying to figure yep. out where the heck I need to go, yep. you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's so interesting you say that. I'm, I'm going to a conference in Alberta um, this month, and I've asked for the attendee list. Uh, I paid to go, and I want to know who also is going. And the organizer said, you will find out the morning of. Ouch. Yeah, it's like... And why it be, and it's in the health world, by the way. So the you know the, the the protection of privacy is through the roof. Oh, we confidentiality and so on. But I want to know who's there, so I can set up conversations before I get there. That's mutually beneficial for both of us, and not waste my freaking time. And it's exactly what you're talking about. The before and the after are when the real opportunity exists for the two days you're going to spend there. And the money that you're going to spend further to that idea, though, about the protection of privacy. And this is something I've been thinking really deeply about. You know, how do we collect this data, especially in the light of 
the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal, I started to think about our use of customer data. How can we ethically use this data? And one conclusion that I drew was that you can balance that data privacy and sales lead generation. It's actually quite possible and and very I wouldn't say easy to do. It's a little bit mind-bending at first because they feel a bit contradictory. So mm-hmm. stay with me here. Okay. What Here's what I'm thinking about. Typically, you've gone to an event. You might get a list of 1,000 people. Well, where the heck do you start? Yeah. Like, that's a lot of people. Do you just run through the list and contact them one at a time? Like, that's not really doable. So maybe you get a little bit better, a little bit more sophisticated, collect a bunch of business cards. Well, now you're back at the office with a bunch of business cards, either you as an attendee or an exhibitor, but those business cards don't really have a lot of context associated with them. Now let's fast forward to where we're dealing with an event app where say you get together, you talk with somebody, you scan each other's badges and you swap your contact info that way. Suddenly, you've done, you've had this physical interaction where you have both physically opted in to trade information about one another and stay in contact. Mm-hmm. In our event app, we've got settings where we can, where you as an attendee can say, you know what, I just want to go incognito. I don't want to be contacted. And you'll basically be scrubbed from the attendee list and from the exhibitor list. But when you're going back and reviewing that list of people that you talked with, that whose badges that you scanned, that attendee list is now going to be filtered down to only the people that you talked to. Mm-hmm. So now you've filtered out all the people that you didn't have a conversation with. And quite frankly, that would then be a cold call if you were to try to call them up and, and start that conversation. Right. And now you're down to just the people that you talked with and that are open and have a warm that you have a warm association with. Right. Right. Then that's this is where the data analytics part can come in, especially for exhibitors in that we can show that if you've had those interactions and you've had that opted in interaction where you scan each other and you have an attendee coming back and visiting your profile multiple times then suddenly we can say, hey, these five people keep coming to your profile and keep viewing your profile. These are hot leads. These are people that are really interested in you. And you've talked to them. And But we only show you that if you've had some sort of interaction with them in the past. So suddenly we've come to this perfect balance, to a nice balance of we're using the data that's been collected in a way that filters down the list of people that you want to talk to just to the people that you've interacted with and filters out all those that otherwise it would be a cold interaction. We're not using that. And, and think about it this way. We're for our company, like what's the immediate benefit to our company to show you that information Probably not a whole lot of economic benefit for us to show you that information, except for the long term for us, our game isn't about mining the heck out of your personal data to make money because we're not Google. Right. 
our our objective is to try and find a way to make you the best attendee, sponsor, vendor, uh, conference organizer that you can possibly be. Right. So we want to use that how we want to use that data is so that you can be the most effective that you can be. Yes. Yeah, I love it. And by the way, what goes through my head is that you are now increasing the referral hot the warm referral from 40 to 50 to 70% success rate because of all these touch points are coming together uh, through this one one um, profile if I could call it that you said because we talked about the uh, the referral lead it's a 40% chance of success you're increasing that potential for success for the sale because of all these touch points and you're making much better use of your time after the conference yes Yep. We've gone from a thousand people to go through to a couple of dozen people to go through. Yep, yep. To potentially only maybe a dozen people. Right. But right. if that dozen people, if they're already warm or hot leads, you're going to have maybe even the same close rate as before of having gone through the hundred people, but you've just reduced the amount of work that you have to take after the conference yeah. yep. to maybe a tenth. Absolutely. A tenth with the impact times a thousand. I love it. What is this, what is the, is there a, a conference niche that you're getting most traction in for practice? Funny enough, I'm doing a lot of internal conferences these days. Ah, so a okay. lot of, a lot of company corporate events. Mm -hmm. There's, there's organizations that they'll run internal trade shows all the time to help bring together different business units. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's you've worked for governments and large organizations before, yeah? Yes. Well, and you mentioned working for government of New Brunswick. Yes. It's fascinating that you can have people that sometimes work in the same building that have never met. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> and there are so many internal networking events that are becoming a new trend. Yes. Let's get people from two totally different divisions, sometimes two separate provinces or countries even depending on the scale of the company and get them together for two or three days so they can talk in person and meet one another right right very cool and is this what uh beyond passwords is all about so beyond passwords ended up being an offshoot of some security research I've been doing over the last couple of years in a previous life before I got into programming I did a lot of computer repair I actually around I want to say age 14 I got a pay as you go cell phone without my parents blessing <laughs> <laughs> I can trust me. No, not trust me. I believe that, that you did a lot of stuff without your parents' blessing. Yeah, they they probably argued the same thing. <laughs> but the advantage was, I had I did computer repair on the side, and so now I could give my cell phone number out to all my clients. You know, as a fourteen year old, and when they need when they needed computer repair because. You know, this was the era of Windows XP. Yes. They would call me on my cell phone. I'd book something and I'd get a ride there. Right. <laughs> and while my friends were making minimum wage at Tim Hortons, I was making 20, 30, sometimes 40 bucks an hour doing computer repair. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love so it. 
so beyond passwords came from just experience of doing computer repair for people over the years, plus some personal experiences watching family members and some when I lived in an apartment building. Uh, there were a number of elderly people that lived there, and they'd routinely fall victim to phishing scams and uh-huh. to email scams. Uh. And I just I felt compelled to do something about it. Yeah, good for you. And then over over the course of the summer, I was writing a series of blog posts, and I had enough content that eventually I said, "Why don't I just write a book?" So I did. And. It's just a weaving of pretty cool stories of along your journey in the space that you hang out in. It's the weaving of a lot of stories of personal experiences and not just stories to scare the living daylights out of you, even though that's fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> spoken like a true hacker. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not just there to scare you. It's there to provide some defenses and to make you aware of here's how you can defend against some of these attacks. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I uh, I want to pause here for a sec because I want people to hang out with you, Elias. I want them to connect with Tractus. I want them to connect with you. Uh, before I continue on with my next question, can you can you? We'll do the pause, the sixty second pause on the YouTube uh, on the YouTube uh, show. Uh, can you tell us uh, how do people get in touch with you and Tractus and that sort of stuff? Easiest way to get in touch with me these days is to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Elias Perunin, P-U-U-R-U-N-E-N. Other ways to get in touch with me is obviously the password book, www.beyondpasswordbook.com and the Tractus website, www.tractus.ca. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. I hang out on LinkedIn a lot, so find me there. Send me a message. I'll definitely respond. I'm going to do that as soon as we're done here with this conversation. Um, why? What's What's your passion in Tractus? What's the one that you say, I, I love hanging out with my team doing this magic because of this? Oh, you know what? When the questions in live QA start flooding in, that is, and I'm watching the moderators use Tractus on their phones, figure out what questions they want to send up to to the projector screen, to the uh, presenters, and reading those questions aloud. That is, it's a hell of a moment. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, it means means that the hypothesis is working magically, has been proven magically for the invention that you made. Absolutely. Well, there was, there was one show we did where it was, it was actually the first time that we had the live QA feature. It was the first session of the day, nine o'clock session. And we thought, okay, we'll get a few questions come in. One question comes in, two questions rolls in. By the end of it, we had 45 unique questions for a one hour session. (laughs) And they had time to answer three. Love it. Love it. How did they choose the three? Oh, that was, they had a heck of a time trying to answer, trying to figure out which ones to use. Is, did they, did they turn around and say, okay, uh, you say there's 45 and they had to choose three. There were 45 unique questions. And I think there was yeah. something like 60 questions in total came in. Okay. So did they, did they, what did they do with the 42 unique questions? They didn't get answered talking about 
post uh, event. Did they do anything with those questions? See, this was early days, so even we were like, holy wow, how did we get this many questions? We weren't even expecting that much uptake on this thing. So, oh, that's cool. But what I came up with kind of spur of the moment when we were talking in the hallway was I said to the organizers, well, you guys have an internal e-blast, right? Like an internal newsletter. And they said, yes. And I said, well, you've got 42 unanswered questions here. You do one a week. You've got content for your newsletter for the rest of the year. And, and now we've got even better answers by way of the post-show content. Bring one of your speakers back for a virtual Ask Me Anything session. Send a message reply back in the live Q&A during the session, during one of the other breakouts. You know, there's many more options now that we've actually thought that one through. Uh, it, it is incredible. Does the app allow you to continue that relationship with the client and their attendees? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. And we keep I'm the- glad I asked that question because I, I didn't want it to be perceived as just a two-day app. It really is before, and I get the before, but again, it's the relationship building afterwards in the, in the sense of questions and answers, bringing speakers back. You, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a living, breathing event, 365. 365 indeed, because we do have events that happened over a year ago, and people still go back and check out those event details. Even, yeah, when, the, even when the organizer doesn't do anything else with the event, our stats have shown that a quarter or more of those accesses of the app are happening in the days, weeks, and months after your event. A quarter of them. Wow. And that's when you do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Wow. But that shows you the power of what you have created. That's 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 ninety eight percent going in the trash bin, and you got a quarter still going on without doing anything. That's pretty cool. Without doing a thing, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Elias, uh, we've just tied into a, a really cool journey with you. By the way, can we get the book? Uh, I, I know it's being launched on October fifteenth. Um, can you? Can we get your book when we go hang out with you? Absolutely. I'll make sure to have a copy for you. Okay, cool. Not just me, but them also. Yes. I love it. I love it. But I can't, I can't wait to see your dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So any last uh, words, my friend? I guess let's tie into an entrepreneur question, not rest necessarily related to practice, sorry, but related to you as an entrepreneur. And you can tie in your, your, uh, your, your coding abilities and so on as part of your, your, your technical abilities with this. What's the one piece of advice that you can never give advice again to anybody on the planet, but that, and it's for them, this is what you need to do to be successful as an entrepreneur. Learn to sell. <laughs> learn right. to sell, which learn, means learn to listen. Yes, yes. There's all kinds of uh, spin-offs from that. I love it. Know your customer. Know your customer. Love it. So thank you so much, Elias, for uh, for being with us today. It's been quite the journey. Um, remember when I said that we typically go 30, 35 minutes, but we've gone longer, and that's a sign to you, my friend. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, It's been a real privilege. It has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much, sir. No problem at all. Talk soon.
thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 